Hello, welcome to the new episode of TV Spatium, dear listeners, the podcast about transatlantic security and American foreign policy. It's 28th of January, and uh, we are your hosts, uh, Dimitri and Vava. And today we have a lot of topics uh, to cover, and we start with uh, the battle of a historical narrative and World War II. It's a very intriguing topic. Yes, uh, disputes between Russia and Poland. Yeah, and we don't cover history so often. Uh, nevertheless, it's an anniversary it's for us. Yeah, of World War II, and we have to do this. Um, second topic going to be Davos and the uh, Davos Summit. Yes. Um, we discuss results, outcomes, and just our impressions. And uh, last topic we touch upon virus. Well, the coronavirus, which is probably on the headlines over the world right now. Yeah, and let's talk about political and socio-economic aspect of this phenomenon. Exactly. Um, the last thing, I guess we'll give you some updates on the events that we already covered. For example, on Libya, uh, Libya Peace Conference in Berlin and also impeachment uh, process in Washington. So tune in and enjoy. So the first topic for today is the historical debate or rather maybe a fight between uh, Polish and Russian foreign <laughs> services and politicians. Heads of states. Heads of states and yeah, very important people in both countries. Uh, basically, hmm, the two countries put blame on each other about starting or provoking World War II and yeah. painting each other as villains mm-hmm. uh, for like, what, two months already, right? The debate oh, yeah, is going for on. for two months. So I guess uh, today we'll discuss yeah. this topic, which is interesting for uh, Paul and a Russian yeah. to discuss. Yeah, it's Without hostilities. <laughs> and I, of course, uh, I guess the whole debate adds up to like the very bad relationships between Poland and Russia in general. Yes, exactly. So and I guess maybe uh, to give the listeners an overview, we should go back to where the entire debate started and yeah. how it came to be. Exactly. So in September 2019, uh, Euro Parliament adopted a pretty much contested, probably biased uh, resolution, blaming uh, Russia for starting the World War. Uh, World War Two. I mean, Soviet Union, of course, uh, starting World War Two up par with uh, Hitler's Germany. Yes. And um, this uh, resolution contained kind of vague um, formula, uh, kind of vague descriptions. I would say. And for example, for me personally, there was like an interesting part that uh, some Soviet memorials uh, should be banned, even though there are so many Soviet memorials, you couldn't simply ban them. Uh, well, they did this in or, Poland. I mean, they did this in Ukraine as well. But, you know, you cannot dismantle, for example, Soviet memorials in Berlin. Yeah, that's or true. Or any other part of... That will be hard. I mean, they officially even belong to Russia, so it's going to be... It's going to be a tough fight. <laughs> yes. Another war, probably. <laughs> Uh, to solve this. Yeah, I guess ambiguous and not really clarified resolution um, that I guess um, practically changes nothing, uh, but uh, it has a lot of uh, symbolical yeah, power. Yeah, purely symbolical power. Uh, yes, so uh, Vava, why do you think they adopted this resolution and uh, maybe who, maybe you know some details about uh, Poland uh, advocating for this resolution? Well, uh, as probably many of uh, you know, uh, Russian uh, politicians, and generally Russia as a whole, uh, is painted in a very bad light in Poland. Okay. Um, it has been ever since, ever since basically, yeah. for centuries, the relationship uh, was very bad. And well, yes, this resolution was pushed for uh, by 
and Polish mm -hmm. European Parliament members, uh, especially from the uh, ruling party. Yeah. When you look at the resolution online mm -hmm. on the European Parliament's webpage, you'll see many of Polish surnames mm -hmm. here. And yeah. All of them are from the ruling. Uh, all of them exactly. are from the ruling uh, camp. So basically, the current Polish ruling camp basically came mm -hmm. to power on anti-Russian sentiments yeah. after the uh, plane crash in Smolensk in 2010, where mm -hmm. uh, President Jarosław Kaczyński died. They basically came to power by with this crazy conspiracy th mm -hmm. theory that the previous government along with the Russians mm -hmm. they mur murdered the president it was not not just an accident so basically their entire yeah. being mm -hmm. relies on anti-russian sentiments so this is I think why they pushed for such yeah. uh, resolution I would also I would assume that not only Polish uh, um, parliament members but also from Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia yeah. uh, clearly supported this resolution. But I mean, it's also important to mention that it was uh, I guess two or three months of this year, uh, parliament in power, so last days of uh, their duties, uh, so to speak, um, and they didn't form like new European Commission, for example. Yes, there was clearly kind of the act of unity because there is no so many things that they can unite. Uh, except for maybe Russian aggression. Mm -hmm, this was like clearly a message. Uh, this narrative over history is very important to Russia. Um, all, like almost everyone who follows, you know, news about Russia knows, like for Putin and for his regime, it's very important to kind of preserve um, this um, the sense of victory uh, in World War Two and to portray Russia as um, liberator and as a country who. Um, yeah, liberated uh, Europe from fascism, but also kind of saved Europe in this in these terms. Yes, that's true. So basically, the countries uh, of Eastern European Union, which fell victims to yeah. the Soviet Union, and the Polish government after the death of Lech Kaczyński, I think I said Jarosław earlier. That's my mistake. Yeah. It's his brother. Uh, they rely on anti-Russian <laughs> sentiments. They look uh, alike. <laughs> yeah, they're basically identical. Yeah. Because they're twins. twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's not a big problem. Yeah. Um, but let's uh, come back to contemporary events. Yeah, so basically the EU Parliament uh, approves this resolution. And what is the Russian response? And then the Russian response uh, was very aggressive rhetoric of Vladimir Putin in December 2019, where he had meeting with, um, I guess, members of post-Soviet countries, heads of states, and he blamed Poland for anti-Semitic uh, sentiment and also, of course, he uses uh, this law that Poland adopted in 2018, prohibits to blame Polish citizens uh, for participating in um, death camps. Yes, in organization but, of, I mean, the law was revoked, but, yeah, but that's true, it was, it it still, was implemented. It still uses, he still uses this narrative, uh, he told some things about Polish uh, guess, ambassador in Germany who told some nasty uh, stuff about Jews in 2000, oh, in 1938. Yeah, this was Lipski. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, there was a response, and what happened next? Again, there was a Polish response. Yeah, what's, what happened next is quite extraordinary, I must say, because Polish politicians never agree on anything, mm -hmm. but when Putin said what he said, yeah. they all basically stood behind the government and said, okay, mm -hmm. we now support you because we have yeah. to fight Russian lies. So first time since long time, yeah. but the Polish public was unified and well, the prime minister uh, issued of Poland issued a official statement 
which uh, I honestly think was quite uh, wasn't so biased as the mm-hmm. uh, EU resolution it was quite diplomatic in form. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't paint uh, Poland as the only only a victim mm-hmm. or uh, as a country that's innocent, but put a lot of blame on Russia. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, the Prime Minister uh, Morawiecki kind of, you can mm-hmm. say, made fun of the of Putin's mm-hmm. response, saying that it's all uh, all to cover up Russian mm-hmm. failures on international scene, as he called it in his statement. Uh, this is a quote. Mm-hmm. President Putin has lied about Poland on numerous occasions, and he, ha- he has always done so lib- deliberately. This usually happens when Russian authorities feel international pressure related to their activities. And the pressure is exerted not on the historical but comp- contemporary geopolitical mm-hmm. scene. In recent weeks, Russia has suffered several significant defeats. It failed in its attempt to take mm-hmm. complete control over Belarus. The EU once again prolonged sanctions imposed for illegal annexation of Crimea, and the so-called mm-hmm. Normandy format talks did not result in lifting these sanctions. So, which is, yeah, which is pretty much true. Yes. Um, and speaking about, I guess, uh, developing the situation, there was like this event in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, commemorating our, uh, the liberation of Auschwitz, and then they opened a memorial. Uh, for defenders of Leningrad, yes. and um, so it it went on, so to speak, uh, the conflict, and there were some remarks from Polish side. I, I would assume there were some remarks from Russian side, from Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, or Foreign Affairs as well, um, because Poland didn't attend this um, commemoration where yes. almost uh, every country sent its representative or high representative, or at least, for example, Germany sent uh, its president. Um, yeah. Um, so I would say, in terms of Russia, Putin, of course, used this image because for him, as he you know stated, uh, 2020, it's a big year. He wants to unite the country using this image, using the image of uh, the war, um, this commemoration and military parade where like a lot of uh, foreign guests, for example, invited, including Emmanuel Macron, and that's why he wants uh, to. Um, of course, he uh, he wants to use this for his own political gains. But also, it's it's the part of Russian, I would say, national building right now. It's mm-hmm. like one of the part of Russian national blocks, and that's why like Russia is so aggressive in defending. Uh, even though, uh, I mean, we can come back to you know historical uh, historical reason for this kind of conflict. The Soviet Union, um, um, Soviet Union in 19, uh, 1989, it basically said that uh, the decision to uh, the decision to strike the, the pact, uh, the pact of Molotov-Ribbentrop, was a mistake, a Soviet mistake, and they blamed Soviet Union for doing this. Mm-hmm. And now, what Putin does, uh, he basically uses this argument, which is pretty much, um, it's not historical, but you can see the logic behind it that uh, there was no room for maneuver after uh, Munich. Is it called in Russia? It's uh, Munich betrayal or Munich agreements in uh, 1938 yeah. Yeah, between main European countries where they did not invite Russia and basically there was no Russian uh, opinion on the table, so to speak. Um, and um, moreover, there, there was a like, famous Russian uh, diplomat, Litvinov, who mm-hmm. tried his best to somehow um, convene these people and create this anti anti-fascist coalition before this event, you know, before the Second World War. But he failed, and they decided to work without Russia. And if you look at, uh, at the map, you can clearly see that the Czechoslovakia is very close to Russia, was very close to the Soviet border. Yes, and for true. them, it was a threat 
in terms of their existential threat to have like Germany so close to their border and they wanted to preserve peace at least for some time and clearly they hope to preserve peace for longer time than you know two years yes it turned out to be a catastrophic mistake so to speak true true so overall the current conflict uh, I, I think it's safe to say that both sides are using uh, this conflict for political gain yeah. for, inter for, for internal politics um, but well I think both of yeah. them are wrong in their narrative yeah. because well uh, I would say that yes Russia is also um, to blame for starting World War II but Poland is not purely yeah, a victim either also though uh, Poland took participation in uh, this Czechoslovakia yeah the Czechoslovakian crisis yeah. yes Poland did part participate they uh, seized the area called uh, 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 behind the river Olza. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, that's true. This region was uh, was Polish-speaking, and yes, it's true. It was illegally seized uh, during the uh, 1920s, but still, yeah. it was an illegal move, and uh, this definitely puts Poland yeah. as an aggressor in this role. I guess it's important also to mention because there is no such thing as legal and illegal when you talk about past and you talk about this very hard times, so to speak, true. because you know, every country survived as it as it could, so to speak, and everyone pursued, you know, its own interest in this great power politics. Uh, so that's why it's so stupid to argue about this narrative right now. You know, you can left, uh, you can leave this for historians to explore, to have an argument, you know, in academia. But it's yes, stupid. I, to I agree this that narrative. politicians should stay away from history. Yeah, and especially for such a history, and like the only reason they use it just because. Um, they gain support from, exactly. from their constituencies. Yeah, and that's that's it, I guess. I guess that's it, true. Yeah, uh, and there was the discussion of this uh, historical spot between Russia and uh, Poland, mm -hmm. but between Ru Russia and European Union in general. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty big chunk of EU-Russia relations. Yeah. Now we're switching to the next topic. Let's move on. We're turning to the second topic of today's podcast, and that's um, Davos Summit that took place last week. And we're going to discuss outcomes and results of the summit. Yeah, so tell me what took place and what conclusions can we draw from this summit? Yeah, I guess it was a lengthy summit. Uh, a lot of uh, leaders uh, participated in the summit. Uh, for me, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff happened there. I'm just going to tell my impression and the things that, I guess, very important for our debates that we discuss in this podcast. Please do. Yes, first of all, um, Donald Trump attended the summit and he had a very big speech, which you can say, I mean, some people told, you know, this is conservative manifesto of 21st century with a pretty clear idea that you should look at the U.S. under Donald Trump, you should you should be nationalist in order to achieve something in this world, and you should come back to your own national interests. Uh, it's all about your country, it's not about other, it's not about migration, it's not about something else, human rights, it's all about like this idea that uh, you should uh, do everything for your country, and then you're going to be fine. Yeah, it's, it's pretty different from the narrative on the international scale that we, we're used to, right? Uh, yeah, it's very, very different. Uh, it's not so different from what Trump presented like in Davos two years ago, 
but you still can see that he was, I mean, I listened to this uh, speech, it was nicely articulated in terms of he was, he definitely improved as a speaker over these years, uh, into, and also as a speaker in front of international audience. Um, and what he also said, he blamed you know, people like Greta Thunberg for expressive alarmism in terms of we can, we, you know, humans with modern technology can solve every problem yeah. if, if we work together, uh, not together, but if we use these technologies and you shouldn't be so pessimistic about the future. So there was like clear message of Donald Trump. For example, there was another message of Angela Merkel. She also attended summit, but in another day, so they didn't have a meeting. Um, she, well, she uh, on the contrary, she emphasized that Germany has... Um, has to do something for Europe as a wealthy state, and it has um, uh, um, so it's obliged to do something just so because because basically uh, a totally different narrative than Trump's. Yeah, very different. I mean, very pro cooperation, pro trade, pro like very liberal, and of course it's about climate. Uh, what like Angela Merkel means? This is the Green New Deal, and they're going to have uh, the talks about budget for the next like seven years, six years, and it's important to understand that Germany is going to spend the most. And Merkel, she also there was like very interesting part about critics in in Germany. She said, you know, we have a lot of people who think that this uh, policy uh, won't work, and it's bad for Germany. Uh, I mean, uh, ecological uh, the the policy in terms of ecology. But mm -hmm. she lamented this people and said, like, yeah, we have responsibility to act because they are the wealthiest country in, in Europe, and we have to do something with this. It's our problem. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and also we had a talk, uh, we had a speech by Ursula von der Leyen, another you know, prominent character, uh, and how she articulated uh, her new, articulated the agenda of European Union also was very interesting. But in general, I would say, you know, Davos Summit is a very interesting uh, place uh, to analyze, you know, it's very elitist uh, Elitist uh, spot, so to speak. Yes, you cannot attend this place. Uh, you cannot. You cannot have any word if you are like not a businessman, prominent businessman, or head of state. And people say it's a little bit useless uh, recently because it's just people go there. They know their agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's good for scanning yeah. the. Uh, how could you say maybe the. Uh, the ideas of yeah. heads of states and what they have in mind and the general trends in different countries, but no policy comes no, out of no, the summit. No yeah, policy outcomes. Uh, what uh, I want to mention, I guess, just before the summit, and there were important talks, French-American talks, uh, in the, uh, on the sidelines of the summit, on the sidelines of the summit, um, there was an agreement between the US and France that... Um, France uh, won't introduce a digital tax uh, uh, before next year. So the whole, like the whole year, they're going to pause it um, because they have like now an agreement and they should work out the conditions of this digital tax. I mean, Trump pretty much says like any kind of digital tax will lead to other uh, other actions from American side. Yeah, because this will basically impact huge yeah. American, American companies. companies. 
but uh, for President Macron, it's also very important uh, because for him, it's not only idea uh, in domestic scale and domestic idea, but also it's a European idea in general. And he sees it's like a priority for his government to achieve this on European level, this kind of tax, this kind of policy. You know, which pretty much says that he's very still very limited in terms of the way he the way he wants to behave he wants to be more you know independent from uh, the united states from dependent from washington but he still is very limited because the whole economy um, relies on relies on the united states True. yeah that's the only observation that uh worth mentioning i mean what, what i noticed yeah. yeah i guess that pretty much you nailed it yeah um that was uh, davos summit and we turn to our last topic we do so now we move on to the third topic, which is, uh, I think you all, you have all heard about it. It's the coronavirus that's been spreading mm-hmm. for a few weeks in China and now globally. We don't usually deal with the medicine or yeah. science uh, in here, but, well, this has huge influence on international relations yeah. and uh, policies, policies and economies. So we thought we should cover it. Mm-hmm. So as of today, which is the 28th, of January 2020, uh, there are about more than 4,000 sick people infected mm-hmm. by the virus and more than 100 dead. Yeah. And the virus is present basically all over the world, almost all, all continents in many countries. And um, yes, this virus poses yeah. a threat to humanity. <laughs> Maybe I mean, yeah, it's like the, the, world, the health, world, world Health Organization did not declare a state of emergency, emergency yet. Yeah. But, well, the global markets and the governments have already reacted to the virus. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a very big issue. And the way, the, like, the pace uh, with which it spreads, it's incredible. Yes, exactly. Inter- like, the world is so interconnected that you can see, you know, we had this virus in China, I don't know, like two weeks ago, even though this, the, the first like, cases of virus were in China were in December. Yes. The world kind of found out about this uh, thing only in uh, January. I mean, the virus was noticed in December yeah. last year, but recognized as a new type of new virus type of uh, this year. So basically, already uh, some countries take actions against this, like internationally, like Mongolia and North Korea mm-hmm. completely closed their borders with uh, China. Uh, Tibet also has mm-hmm. some restrictions on people coming from from mm-hmm. China, etc. Yeah. Um, and well, the what will be the economic? Mm-hmm. Results, I guess we could we should cover this. It's also important to mention that major major changes happened in China, and uh, Chinese government took this question took this question very seriously. Yes, that's true. And I mean, they closed just the cities, which are way more bigger than Berlin. You know, yeah, quarantined like forty million people. Yeah, Um, exactly. And it's uh, post-apocalyptic, you know, scenes from movies, kind of when you see you know no people there. Um, but only people like in uniform with masks and yeah, yes. this is kind of scary <laughs> a little bit but uh, it's worth mentioning that this approach to tackle uh, virus is way more different than China China had like for example in zeros in 2003 yeah, because true. then it concealed you know actual number of like dead people it didn't want to reveal how many so how many uh, people were affected by the virus? Well, actually, some scientists from Hong Kong uh, reported that they uh, they think that there are more than 20,000 people infected by the Chinese government is basically... Yes, I guess that's... Uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, one possibility. I mean, you, you you can you cannot know because still China is pretty much open. I mean, what they did, for example, in two thousand three, they just they want to reveal any information. That's true. That's true. But now they're pretty much, and they want to tackle it. That's why they close uh, this. Uh, they they close uh, cities. They don't allow people to leave them. They don't allow people people to enter the cities. Yeah. Um, I think we should you know, cover the uh, economic economically uh, repercussions. Yeah. So basically, the virus stroke during the Chinese New Year, so a time when many Chinese will take yeah. take time off, and many of them travel. So now the travel is restricted, and this severely hinders the Chinese economy because many yeah. people would go on to different cities or abroad and spend money on services, food, yeah. everything. Um, and this also influences other world economies. Yeah. For example, every year there are hundreds of thousands of Chinese mm-hmm. tourists coming to the U.S. for the New Year. And now they cannot because of the restrictions uh, imposed in China. Mm-hmm. So basically, China loses income from tourism, transportation, and services. Yeah. And will also influences uh, international uh, different countries. Basically, the city which was mm-hmm. the source of the outbreak, the Wuhan, this is an industrial city, and there's much foreign capital yeah. in it. Uh, so basically, there are factories for uh, European and American companies. So mm-hmm. now, if uh, the, the city is on lockdown, yeah. this can basically uh, say that some parts mm-hmm. that they produce there for their their uh, I don't know, let's say cars. Uh, yeah. I think there are some cars car factories over there. So if they do not produce those components in this factory, then they will also order such components from different countries. So let's say yeah. some other components are produced. I know in Germany. Then, if you don't have, mm-hmm. do not have your required components from China, if you can't complete your car, then you will not buy other components, right? Yeah. I so mean, this influences uh, this true. influences the global markets, and I think it's also important to uh, compare it with the outbreak of the SARS uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. disease in two thousand three and two thousand two. So uh, basically, this disease, as I said, happened between two thousand two and two thousand three. Mm-hmm infecting about 9,000 people uh, for over the course of like six or seven months. Um, And well, what were the results for Chinese and global economy? So China, Mm -hmm. over this period of time, lost 60% of income from tourism, Mm -hmm. which is an estimated loss of $25 billion. They also experienced approximately 2% lower Mm -hmm. economic growth than expected without the epidemic. And we can take some information from this. There were only 9,000 people infected over the course mm-hmm. of like seven months. And this caused such huge damage to the Chinese yeah. economy. This virus, over the uh, course of like three weeks, mm-hmm. barely a month, and it managed to infect over 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. And some scientists say it may be even more. Um, so the reproduction rate of the virus, which is the mm-hmm. scientific measurement mm-hmm. of how quickly the virus spreads, for SARS, it was 2.0 mm-hmm. approximately. For coronavirus, some estimates uh, say that's up to 4.0. So the virus spreads much faster, easier. And I think we can really compare it to the uh, economic results of the SARS outbreak in 2003. We can expect uh, the repercussions for China to be Mm -hmm. more severe. Yeah, I guess it's also important to mention the Chinese economy hit it's low level, I guess, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it, one, one month ago. Yeah, it's also important to say that during the last outbreak, the Chinese economy was experiencing growth at like 10% Yeah, and uh, now it's a pretty year. much 6%. Now it's pretty much 6%, exactly. Even though it can get, it can, it can, 
get even lower. So let's say that they experience a 2% like last time or even maybe yeah. a 3%. This basically leaves them at, uh, what, like 3%, yeah. which is, well, way, way less than the 10% they had 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah, but still, uh, we hope that um, they're going to take uh, relevant measures and to tackle this disease yes, as I'm, fast as they can. I'm sure they are. You can see pictures of much yeah. effort they put into tackling it. But unfortunately, the virus already spread outside of uh, yeah. outside of China. We have confirmation now that the virus also spreads uh, from people to people because a person, yeah, because a person in Germany mm -hmm. today was found sick. And this person had nothing to do with China, but had yeah. contact with uh, a person from China. So, yeah. so we should all take care of ourselves. So yeah. <laughs> that's in conclusion. <laughs> yeah, take care. Yeah. And let's switch to another. Uh, yeah, let's switch to updates. Like yeah, so let's section. switch to some updates on the topics we already covered. In the last section for today, we're going to continue to give you updates about events that we covered in the past. So um, you are updated and know everything about this, those events. So I guess uh, you have some updates on Libya. Yeah, uh, if we, you know, if we analyze results of. Uh, uh, Libyan peace conference in Berlin, you can say that uh, results were satisfactory. I wouldn't say they were good because you had signatures from every country that participated and there were a lot of countries, uh, basically all countries from um, uh, all Gulf countries, uh, countries from, like, for example, Egypt, the president of Egypt, uh, and so on and so forth. But and interestingly, Greece was not there, was not invited. Yeah, Greece was not invited. That's, and they send uh, the letter uh, condemning this decision not to invite them. Yes. Even though it's actually stupid because, you know, Greece is in front of Libya. <laughs> uh -huh. And who else is going to tackle this crisis? Uh, if not, if not Greece, well, but they were not invited because I guess Angela Merkel knew that they would oppose any yeah. solution proposed. Uh, anyway, I guess the main um, um, the main idea of this resolution to um, to preserve uh, ceasefire and uh, in general to prohibit any kind of uh, military deals with uh, uh, Libya. Yeah, there's like two main aims of this resolution, but of course, uh, in general, it's a positive step because you still see, you know, people uh, collaborating with each other and people working with each other. Yeah, but it's not a definitive one. Yeah, not definite one, but every process takes a lot of time. And every peace process, it's very hard to achieve, especially when you have so many interests involved. That's true. Yeah. So I would say they're satisfactory. We should uh, closely watch now on Hafta, on, on uh, um, opposite side in this conflict, I mean in Libya, because they still they never met with each other. So that's true. Uh, they never have, like, they never had like actual talks with each other, these both sides. Um, and they basically use this uh, summits and all these great powers to, you know, to send message to each other. And oh, to yeah, I think uh, intermediates, like eventually intermediates. Um, they will have to talk directly because, yeah. well, after the, uh, in the beginning, General Haftar's basically blitzkrieg through mm -hmm. Libya was very successful, but now it's pretty much got stuck as offensive. Yeah. So it's a pretty much a stalemate on the front line. So, well, 
they have to negotiate. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's about uh, Libya. Um, lastly, what I want to tell and some give you some update that's about impeachment procedure. I mean, a lot of things happen, and we don't cover impeachment procedure very closely because you need to record basically every day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it changes pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, now uh, the impeachment procedure in, is in, in full swing in the Senate and um, the latest news that's probably important for national security is the message, not the message, but the excerpts from uh, John Bolton's book, who was uh, national security advisor during this uh, crisis, during this uh, um, phone talk between uh, President Zelensky and uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where he says uh, that it was uh, so Trump withdrew military aid in order to have a pressure in order to pressure Ukrainian side in order to so so they so they would investigate Biden's uh, Hunter Biden's son of uh, Joe Biden um, uh, oh, dirty uh, dirty things in Ukraine dirty business dirty business Shady. in Ukraine and that's interesting because uh, I mean this it goes to the question of uh, the process in Senate. As now they don't uh, invite witnesses because that's the way you know procedure works and that how they voted for this procedure which is in very much in favor for Republicans and as far as I understand now the procedure is very goes very smoothly um, it's they don't investigate so what they do now uh, they're just going through these articles of impeachment, and they read them and so forth. Uh, they have been present, senators present their opinion, but in general, that's very favorable for uh, Republicans because, uh, as a lot of people from, a lot of people noted, Donald Trump doesn't want to trial to to be very long time in Senate because, of course, it damages his uh, ratings True. and so on. So he wants to get it through Senate very quickly, and that's what Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican leader in the Senate, is pretty much... Um, in, uh, he's capable of doing this. He, he's very, you know, good dog of Donald Trump, so to speak. He makes his um, business, he makes his... Um, Life easier. Yeah, responsibilities very clear. Um, and I guess they they supposed to end this impeachment uh, trial before 4th uh, of February. That's, we're going to have state address, the un uh, address uh, to the union. Uh -huh. um, yeah, by Donald Trump. And yeah, that's, uh, but it's interesting because we have no new information about Bolton and they're going to be more debate. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll cover the topic more briefly yeah. after 4th of February. Or maybe we have a conversation with someone who closely follows this procedure because... Hopefully we can do that, yes. It's, I mean, it's hard because, you know, the time zones and everything, you basically need to watch online the whole night these procedures. Yeah, it is tough for us. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that was it. Uh, subscribe to our channels on every platform that you listen to. Rate us. Write uh, questions if you have them. You can, yeah, submit questions. Um, and goodbye. Have a good and productive week. Goodbye.